Mark chapter 12, and we are coming up on the passage of what I would say is probably one of the more familiar and quoted passages of all the Gospels. I mean, you have the Great Commission in Matthew 28, it's quoted quite a bit, Uh, but, but between Matthew 22 and Mark 12, the greatest commandment, there is um, almost just about every church's mission statement includes some kind of version of love God, love people. We boil that down a lot. Um, uh, the summer after I graduated high school, before I went to college, I worked at a Christian camp. And that summer, the theme of the camp was Mark 12, verses 28 and following. And so every week they'd have a different speaker. And every week... Um, I got to hear someone preach on this passage of, of love God and love people. And what's fascinating is when I think back to that, there's almost like this uh, theme that I remember from that summer of pretty much just a lot of ways of diagnosing of how can you better love God and how can you better love your neighbor. And more or less, I remember it kind of being, you don't love God enough, so try harder to love God. You don't love your neighbor enough, so try to love your neighbor more. And uh, some preachers were better than others in my mind, but for some reason that the theme was kind of love better, boiled down. Love better, right? Jesus gives this command. The greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? And, and so as I was kind of just praying over this passage, thinking about it, I was like, man, I, I don't necessarily want to just regurgitate this, hey, go love better. And so I think, you know, listening, reading, reflecting, um, I, I think when I, when I study this passage, I don't know if I quite see it as this huge, grand, new thing that Jesus is teaching. Here's the thing I think we forget. Jesus was a Jew, and he wasn't trying to radicalize everything. He wasn't trying to make everything, even though he kind of cleansed the temple and then deconstructs all of that, he kind of gives a, a pretty normal answer here. And so let me read the passage for us, and we'll kind of just talk about what I really think is at the heart of the great commandment. So verse 28 says this, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, so he asked Jesus, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and that there is no other besides him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your, the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Let's pray. Father, we, as we come before your word, I pray that we remember that it is through your word that you grow our faith, that it is your word 
that is a double-edged sword. And so, Father, we pray now that it would come and penetrate our hearts and help us to see the error and folly of our ways, to see the error and folly of sin, that we would turn to Christ, that we would have faith in Him, that we would lean not on our own understanding, but that we would acknowledge You in all of our ways. So, Lord, bless this time. May it glorify You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um. <clears throat> I'm sure we all can relate to this in a, a variety of ways. That feeling where you are working really hard, you're building on something, you're studying for a test, you're playing a game, and you come so close to your goal or to your target, but you just miss by an inch. And what do we say? Close, but no cigar. Close, but no cigar, right? So... You know, you're, you're playing a video game and you're playing the boss and, and you get it, you, his health is just right there and you just need one more hit, but somehow he lands a punch on you and you die. You're like, oh, it's so close to beating him. Close, but no cigar, right? You, you're, you're working all semester and you're math grade and you're going in and you're trying to really get that A or that B so that mom and dad get off your back and you're, you're retaking tests and you're doing everything you can, and you see your grade on the wall, and it's like 89.9. And you're like, surely the guy's going to bump it up to the A-. minus. Close, but no cigar. I think we all know that, like, that deep frustration that we can have when we uh, work really hard and we're trying to attain that, but then it just somehow falls Short. When I think about this passage and I think about the scribe, what's interesting is that he is close, but he ain't in. He's close. He, he, he's on the right tra- trajectory. So I don't know whether you're a person who kind of looks at the glass, it's half full. Like, yeah, I still got half my drink left. Like, Praise the Lord, yes. Or if you look, if you look at the glass more half empty. Gosh dang it, I'm already down to half. Man, I always do this. I just, man. And I don't know how you want to see it, but kind of what happens is is last week we talked about this, they're kind of testing Jesus. Jesus is, in the last week of his life, he's going to the temple, he's doing some things, and they kind of question his authority. Like, who who are you really to come into the temple? And what happens after that, they, they continue to ask him questions about taxes. This whole thing about ta- paying taxes to Caesar. Should we pay it to Caesar or to God? And Jesus kind of answers their question really well. After that, the Sadducees, they come and they ask a question about the resurrection. Jesus answers that well. And so you kind of get this, this momentum going of there's this one group after another kind of putting Jesus on trial by asking these really hard questions. A group of them. And there's one scribe who I think is just sitting there watching this. And he's like, man, this Jesus guy. He's, he's pretty bright. This, this, I, man, that's a good answer. I haven't thought of that myself. This guy, is, he's watching Jesus, and he's like, man, it's hard to catch Jesus. And so the scribe, notice what it says in verse 28, and one of the scribes. So this guy, he isn't being kind of asked by some big group. He kind of comes alone. I think he's looking at all these questions, and he's like, 
man, I, I kind of like this Jesus. And so out of, I think, of a good heart and good intention, he asked Jesus this really important question. He says, okay, Jesus, all these questions aside, like questions about the resurrection, question about taxes and authority, here, here's my question. Which commandment is the most important of all? So as a scribe, a scribe was someone who was an expert in Jewish law, and the law was the Pentateuch, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. A scribe knew every single thing there was to know about Jewish law. And if my memory serves me correct without my notes, there's about 614 laws given in the Jewish law. 614 of them. And they had them all memorized. Right? So with 614 laws, even Jesus sometimes talks about it in other parts of the gospel, there were more weightier parts of the law. So there's things about like the type of bow you would put on your incense and all these different things. Those things are part of the, some of the laws, but there are more important laws like honoring your father and your mother and in how you worship God. But with 614, you have this question of like, okay, there's so much that could be said. What, what's the, Boil it down. What's the most important? And so, a matter of fact, there's a guy, one of the, the guys who was like the religious Jewish leader about 100 years before Jesus. A guy comes up to him and asks him, hey, while I bounce on one foot, give me the summary of the entire law. And, and, and the, the point is, you can't really bounce on one foot for too long, so you need to say it short and sweet. What really is the whole summary of God's law to the Jewish people? And what he does is he summarizes Leviticus 19, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So this question that Jesus is being asked is not a question that has not been asked before. And what did Jesus say? Jesus answered, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So really quick, what he's doing there is he is tying back the most important thing to this passage where we call the Shema, which is Deuteronomy 6. Shema means to listen in Hebrew. And so the most important passage of any Hebrew, as a matter of fact, if you live in a Jewish neighborhood, one day in, in, in Chicago, once I was in like an apartment building, a lot of Jewish people, they have these little things, a kind of little scroll, and it's tilted a little bit to the right. And inside of it, there's this tiny little piece of paper rolled up into it, and it has Deuteronomy 6 in Hebrew. And the Shema is the most important passage in Deuteronomy 6, it's all about, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your strength. And what's interesting is Jesus connects the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, to loving God and loving people. And matter of fact, Jesus actually adds in the line, because it's not in Deuteronomy 6, love with God with all your mind. And it's kind of Jesus' way of saying, with all of your being, with all of who you are, you need to love God. And if you love God, the natural reaction to that is that you love your neighbor. But like I said earlier, this was not a crazy answer. Jesus here was not trying to reinvent the wheel. There have been people who would have said the exact same thing. And so I think this guy, this scribe, he, he's kind of a, a, a good example in a way. He's kind of, he's, he's impressed with Jesus. He's impressed enough to kind of come by himself, right? He's not with this kind of, there's like number and powers, right? 
excuse me, power in numbers. I get this flux with my words. My, my wife tells me that. I do that a lot. But he comes by himself, and he's like, okay, Jesus, you know, eye to eye, Jesus, what's the most important thing? Jesus gives the answer. He quotes Deuteronomy 6. So love God with everything, with your whole being. Love God and love your neighbor. And what does the guy say? Look down. Verse 32. And the scribe said, you are right, rabbi, teacher. You truly have said that he is one, and there is no one other besides him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is so much more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifice. So even this guy, even he knows that to love your neighbor truly is far better than doing all the religious sacrifice of kind of going to church and going through the religious motions. Even he knows that deep down there is this love for God that we have to have. And so he likes Jesus' answer. So at this point, I would be your age, I'd be 18, 19, and I'd be hearing someone say, well, do you love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength? And then maybe there'd be a four-point message of what does it mean to love God with all of your heart? And then what does it mean to love God with all of your soul? And what does it mean to love God with all your mind? Like, they're, they're all different. I think just in a way, it's kind of being holistic here, of loving God with everything. Maybe there's a word to kind of describing those. But here's the most fascinating thing. This guy, he's impressed with Jesus. He even seems to like Jesus. Like, here's the thing about this answer, about loving God, loving people. I think if you asked most people, religious people and non-religious people, and you said, the most important thing about my religion, the greatest commandment is that I should love God and I should love people. I don't think anyone would say, man, that's just radical. Whoa. I, I have never, I, I think most people, if Muslims, whatever religion you would talk about, would have some kind of gist towards that, right? Oh, we should love people better. I don't, I don't think anyone is debating that at all. So even though this guy kind of likes Jesus, knows that, that really the heart of a true heart of follower of God is that, that we love him and that we love ourselves, that he affirms Jesus, that he knows that, that being a true follower of God isn't about just doing the religious emotions, like kind of just offering up these kind of weird little sacrifices to God. It's not just about kind of reading your Bible just because you're told to. It's really about your heart towards one another. What did Jesus say to him? Verse 34, and when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're close, but you ain't in. You're close, right? You could, like, you're, you're, you're there. You're almost there. You're in the right path. You can look at it with the glass half, half full, right? That man, like, you're getting it. You're almost there. And what's the almost there? That you actually won, that you believe in God, right? Like that's like a, it's like a step. I think for some people, we, we, we like to think that, you know, they've, they've never heard anything about God ever before in their life. And we talk to them for maybe two minutes about Jesus and we say, do you want to make a decision right now? Whoa. 
Some people, they're on a path to really following Jesus. But, but the first path is just kind of recognizing that one. I believe in God. Like, that's good. Like, you're, you're close. That's a lot closer than someone who doesn't believe in God, right? And more than that, he believes in God. He, he likes Jesus. He thinks Jesus says good things. He, he highly esteems him, I'm sure. And even more than that, he knows that true religion is that I should love God and I should love my neighbor. So why isn't he in then? Maybe. Being a scribe, though, I would assume that he probably does them all to a T. It's a fascinating little thing here because I think most of us in this room would say, I believe in God. I, yeah, I believe, I believe that, yeah, kind of the heart of all of what we're kind of talking about here, you can boil down pretty much every command to some kind of command of, I need to love God and I need to love people. I think warmly of Jesus. But as close as we get, we're still not quite there. And I, I tell you, I ponder that, and I ponder that, and I ponder that some more. You are not far from... What else does he need? Right? What else does he need? And I think it's interesting. This passage is very similar to a passage we studied a few months ago in Mark chapter 10, where another young guy comes up to Jesus, the young rich ruler, remember? Very similar story. Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus kind of quotes at him the whole second part of the Ten Commandments, right? All these laws about loving your neighbor. And this guy's like, sweet, I'm in. Because I do it all. Man, like, I do all these things. I'm good to go, right? Jesus says, one thing you lack. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Then come follow me. And a lot of times we, we take that passage and we mean it to say, you have to give up everything to follow Jesus, right? You can't just like say, I'm going to be a Christian on Sunday, but the rest of the week I'm going to do whatever you want. You got you to be all in. And, and I think that is part of the point. But what I really think Jesus is trying to communicate in this passage and in, in Mark chapter 10 is to blow out of the water that we get God by being good. A religious performance. That you could try to love God and try to love your neighbor, but no matter how hard you try, it ain't good enough. You're close, but you're not in. So obviously, kind of keeping the tension a little bit, what is he missing? Verse 35. Isn't it interesting that right after this little conversation, what does Jesus teach about? Look down verse 35, it says this. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ, or that's the Messiah, is the son of David? David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng throng heard him gladly. What's interesting is that right after this passage of Jesus saying, hey, you're not far from the kingdom of God. 
You're well on your way. You're close. But what is he missing? And Jesus takes the opportunity to talk about how from David, the Messiah would come. But Jesus kind of, he asked this question. He said, how, how can it be that David would, would kind of in his spirit declare, the Lord said to my Lord. And that's what Jesus is saying there. David couldn't be talking about himself. And so he had to be talking about someone else. Someone who would come from David. In essence, this is what Jesus is saying. I'll just kind of boil it down for you. I am God. I am the one that you should love with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It isn't good enough to try to love God without loving Jesus. And so here's the point. I think we're really quick. We are tempted to say, okay, oh yeah, well, I believe in Jesus, so I'm good. Right? But truly, at the heart of this passage, what it is that you are not fully there, that although you like church and religion, although you believe in God, although you think it's important to kind of do good things, although you, you warmly think of Jesus, there is still this challenge of, of you're not in yet. So what do we need? We need true faith in Christ. Now, again, what we're tempted to do is like, oh, true faith in Christ? Oh, okay, I did that. Now what? And this is where I need to pull in a Harry Potter illustration, right? As any good sermon would. And I apologize if you haven't seen Harry Potter, but you can track with me anyways. So, uh, seventh movie, Deathly Hollows, right? Hermione Granger, of all people, right? So um, I tried thinking of other illustrations, and maybe you could think of some other you could tell me later. But, but do you know at, at some point you're watching this movie, and people like the, the, the heroine or the hero, kind of they, they, they've reached this point where they have to make a decision, and it's kind of like the point of no return. And so Hermione Granger, she's about to go with her two friends, Harry and Ron, to go like, try to defeat Voldemort by killing all these, these horcruxes and stuff like that. But she has to do something. And it's a pretty sad part of the movie. She kind of uh, sees her parents on the couch, and she gets her wand, and she kind of does this spell, and she says this word, like, obliviate. And you watch all the pictures in her house, and they begin to, uh, her picture begins to vanish. That what she just did is that she just vanished her entire existence from her parents. That her parents wouldn't recognize her. They wouldn't even know that they had a daughter. All of the pictures, all of the files, all of the things of her life are completely gone. And in a way, it's a very sad moment because she's trying to protect her parents. She didn't want anyone to come and hurt her parents. So she just completely obliviated every memory of her. She consciously made that. There's a point of no return. I'm going to go do this mission. Some of us think... That when it comes to Christ, that it's just kind of when I feel like it. That it's kind of this, this sometimes I, I, I'm trying, sometimes I don't really know, I don't really think about Jesus that much. But, but let me tell you something. True faith in Christ, it, it, you really are, you are kind of passing over this line of, there is no coming back from this. It is faithfulness and loyalty to Christ in all things. And let, let me tell you something. This was a hard message when Jesus was around. Because you know what that meant? 
If you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to pass that point of no return, that meant strong embarrassment. I mean, sometimes like I hear people, they say, well, I don't prefer the, the term Christian. I, I kind of like this kind of a thing. Well, whatever you want to call it, you're a Christian. It's a biblical term. They use it in Acts. You follow Christ. And I think sometimes we can be a little embarrassed to kind of be vocal about that term, that I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus. Because of sometimes, even as a pastor, I feel that, oh, you're some bigot, or you're some person who kind of just judges people, or, or you're so more holy than thou, kind of a thing. Sometimes being a Christian means that you actually have to die for what you believe in. There are martyrs of the faith, and back then, resurrection was a strong indignation like that, that, that is probably going to happen if you follow Jesus sincerely. Eleven of the twelve apostles died a martyr's death. Following Christ means that it comes with a daily decision to die to myself, as Jesus would say. That we are every single day learning to be sanctified, to die to sin, and to be alive to Christ. Now listen, guys. Some of you, I think, and a lot of people and a lot of churches, are you're right there with this guy. You like God. You like the idea of him. You're trying to be a nice, good, loving person. And this is the word that Jesus may have for you. You're close. Keep going. You're on the right path. But you ain't in. You ain't in. That, 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 that full-blown, I, I am passing the line of no return. I'm following Christ. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to die for him. I'm going to serve him. This is the call. That's it. To, to, to be willing to say, it is no longer I who lives, but it is Christ who lives within me. That all of my all of my plans, my future, my friends, my sexuality, my money... Jesus is my Lord. He tells me how I should live. And I think far too many of us think that it's, it's a kind of a day-by-day thing. But think of what Jesus says. So anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Let me tell you something. Becoming a Christian and understanding that loving God now means to love Christ with all of my heart, with all of my mind, with all of my soul, with all of my strength, means that I am actually signing up for slavery. But the best kind of slavery. A slavery to a master who is gracious and kind, who dies for his people, who is meek and gentle and humble in spirit, who gives us a share of the inheritance. And I I worry sometimes that we can be people who, hey, yeah, I'm going to try to love my neighbor. I'm going to try to love God more. And I think Jesus is really cool. And I'm I'm kind of going through. And, And we really think that true faith in Christ is just kind of this like, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I want you to know 
I want you to know that there is a man who thought all of those things, but he wasn't in. What is he really getting at? He is trying to punch the biggest hole possible through religious performance. He doesn't want it. He doesn't need it. If, if we read our Bibles, if we come to church, if we sing songs because we feel like we have to, we're not really loving Christ the way he should be loved. I think the biggest irony of this passage is, and I think the biggest glaring thing that we forget, is that none of us in this room love God and love people quite as well as we think we do. Can we agree to that? It ain't simple. I, I just think like, we think it's just this easy little thing. No, it is absolutely not, which is why we need someone. Jesus is the only person who loved God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, with all of his strength. Jesus is the only person who truly loved his neighbor and put their interests on the same level as his own. Jesus is the only person who can really fulfill this great commandment. And so although we we think it's good to like Jesus, although we think it's good to, to love our neighbor, and I think everyone could agree with that. Liberal, conservative, whatever you want, old, young. Yeah, we should be nice to people. But the fact remains is that we can't on our own. We don't. We need Jesus. We need true faith in Christ. Sorry, I didn't even tell you my points, but there they are. There's good news, right? There's good news that if you're someone who you like Jesus, you believe in God, that you think it's a good thing to love your neighbor, hey, that's good. You're on the right track. There's bad news of you might not be in. You might not be in. And then there's a line to be crossed. And what's that line? That line is the point of no return. I'm going to follow Jesus. And no one's going to stop me. And you know what? I, I might lose. I might, I might get made fun of. Matter of fact, I think if you're doing it right, you will. I might look like a weirdo to a lot of people. I may suffer financial loss at times. I may have a lot of things not go my way. But there is a point at which Jesus is the answer. He is where my faith is. And then, guys, this is, what I, this is what I want to encourage you to. Come to Christ. Embrace him. Love him. Make that true decision of, I am going to follow Jesus. And there is no coming back from this. Because truly, to love Christ is to learn to live the great commandment. Because when we receive the love that he has for us, do you know what happens? That love boils in our hearts and it spills out into the life of others. When we receive Jesus' patience, do you know what happens? It allows me to be patient with others. When I, when I am mindful of Christ's kindness and mercy and how he shares everything with me and how he's been so generous, that fills my heart to give to others. You're close, but you ain't in. May that never be true of anyone here. That we just kind of did a lot of religious stuff. 
kind of did what we were told to. We kind of played face. And just to hear the words, you aren't, you aren't, you're not far. That's good. But you're not in. Let's turn to Christ. Let's make that point and no return. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you made the point of no return. You came to earth. You died on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven. Lord, thank you that you love us so, so very much that at times you even have a hard word for us. Lord, I pray that we would not be people who kind of just mingle in religion, who just do what we're supposed to do, who just try to be good people by our own effort. But Lord, I pray that we would look to Christ, who is our God and our Savior, that we'd have true hearts of faith to trust in him, that he is our good, that he is the only person who truly loved the Father with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength, and who truly loved his neighbor. So Jesus, we ask now that by your Spirit, you would come and you would help us to remember that we can only draw near if you work in our hearts. We cannot do it on our own. But nonetheless, Lord, we pray that those who may be close but not in would would make that point of decision and turn to Jesus. May you be honored and glorified in all that we say and do. We pray this in your name. Amen.